0: Whatever the source, infection, injection, or repeated injection, what research shows is that an increase in endothelial damage, which spike proteins do, and dysfunction, it allows cancer cells to bind to a distant vascular site entravasate, and form micrometastasis. These micrometastasis then spread to full macrometastasis. And the result here is you're going to see an increase in cancer incidence, you're going to see an increase in cancer recurrence, you're going to see an increase in metastasis, and again, that's 90% of morbidity and mortality associated with cancer. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, practicing with Dr. Goodyear. I'm going to talk about a little bit of a controversial topic, controversial just because of people's inborn bias, but really not controversial when you look at the science. I always like to start with some kind of historical context because I think it's out of history that we really understand where we've come from and and we can learn from history. There's a um, unreferenced uh, quote that says, wisdom is not wisdom when it's derived from books alone. Cancer is the coming next pandemic. Now, one can say that the actual next pandemic that is cancer is already here present and accounted for. When you look over the last three years, that has really accelerated this process, and I'll, I'll dive into why that is the case. This unknown quote, it, it really highlights the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge being just simply the accumulation of data, books. But we all recognize that knowledge does not equal wisdom. And by no means does wisdom come through just the simple accumulation of data. And again, when you look over the last three years, when you look over history, just simply taking data, knowledge, but not correctly applying it, there's no wisdom. And in fact, when you look at this process, it really comes down to the foundational and original principles and personal experiences in history that guide that data, that knowledge into the wisdom application of it. Because when there's solid foundation, you know everybody says we've got to know where we're, we're coming from to where we're going. When there's solid foundation, history foundation, then there's direction about where you're going. But yet when that foundation or, or when those original principles are being, say, you know, rewritten, destroyed, then what happens is there's no context for that data to be interpreted through. And thus moving forward, there's really no wisdom. There can be a remolding. There can be a remaking. And that's what we're really seeing uh, in a lot today. And I want to really focus on that as it relates to data. Again, not, and it's the application of the data through wisdom. And it's not simply just bias. It's what does the evidence really show us? And so I want you to open your mind and let's talk about the data as it relates to SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus, spike proteins, and cancer. So when we look at this relationship, we really have to look at the door, one of the primary doors, and that's what's called the ACE2 receptors. And these are the same two ACE2 receptors that you've heard a lot of attention over through the the height of the COVID pandemic that really led to a lot of the issues related to the SARS-CoV-2 and the pulmonary damage that occurred. The angiotensin II converting enzyme 2, that is what the ACE2 receptor is, it's expressed in many different cancer types. And these cancer types include the types of breast cancer, lung cancer, colorectal cancer, cervical cancer, esophageal cancer, liver cancer, kidney cancer or renal cell cancer, uterine cancer, and a lot of the reproductive cancers as well, which we'll touch on in just a second. And it's important to understand that In those cancers, because of that increased expression of ACE2, it also applies to the comorbidities. So when you look at the height of the COVID pandemic, everybody was talking about those at highest risk. Those with the greatest risk had the comorbidities. And those comorbidities included obesity, cancer, male over females, advancing age, so definitely the older population, diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular disease. All of these were the associated increased risk associated with the comorbidities that was, a, that was coming through with the COVID virus there. But it really provides that connection to cancer because really right in the middle there is this receptor, these, this angiotensin converting enzyme type 2. Now, what is this enzyme? It, it's an important membrane protein that converts really a vasoconstrictor called angiotensin II to angiotensin. It's a part of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Again, doctors and medicine don't do a good job of naming things. So, you know, but that's what the system is, and this is a component, an enzyme that converts one uh, here, the angiotensin to angiotensin. So A to B, it's converting there. And this system is very important in regulating blood volume, systemic vascular retention, and it has uh, intense implications in high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and that acute respiratory distress syndrome that was seen in COVID pneumonia. And as I mentioned, we know that a lot of cancer types highly express these receptors. So more than just its connection to the COVID-induced pneumonia and the associated mortality associated with it, these receptors are highly expressed in cancer types. Again, mostly the solid tumor types, so not the lymphomas and leukemia types. And it's interesting because here with the expression of these receptors, these cancer cells expressing these ACE2 receptors, they serve as a reservoir for viruses. So let's Uh, explore this because your your brain just may have exploded when I told you cancer cells are serving as a reservoir for viruses. So think of solid tumor cells as really a condominium, a high-rise of reservoirs, of rooms, of apartments, of which the virus can enter into each door, each room through these front doors of the ACE2 receptors. So specific to this virus and the spike protein, this is kind of a build it, the tumor cells, the tumor, they will come, that being the virus, and they will prosper, that is the viral virus will increase in number, and they will grow, increasing infection, inflammation, and promoting cancer growth. So how these two come together and the ACE2 receptor sitting right in the middle is really an interesting point. But it's also important to note that whatever the source of the spike protein, which is the means by which the virus enters, that ACE2 relationship to enter the spike protein, whatever the source, whether that be from infection, injection, or reinjection, this is not good in patients with cancer. Cancer patients are, are, are definitely at increased risk associated with COVID infection, but also adding in the spike proteins, whether infection or injection, also increase the risk of cancer patients. Those two statements are not mutually exclusive. They absolutely are inclusive. Very similar to what Hippocrates was credited as saying is that first, we as physician should heal and help and at least do no harm. Mutually exclusive, no. Mutually inclusive. So those, those definitely do apply. But first we must recognize what, what are spike proteins? Well, spike proteins are really one of four primary proteins associated with this virus. But the spike proteins are are the primary means uh, that the virus uses to bind to these ACE2 receptors to basically enter the cell. Spike protein is a toxin or a toxicant. It's important to understand what those mean. The word uh, toxin comes from a Latin word meaning toxicus or poison. Toxin, a toxin is being endogenously produced from a biological organism. So that could be bacteria. That could be a virus here, or it could be our own human production. So we humans produce toxins all the time. A toxicant is that produced outside a biological organism. So that could be things like environmental toxicants, such as, you know, bisphenol A, lead, cadmium. So these two are different, but they are both toxins. Now, that's where it ties into the spike protein because when an injection or infection induces this virus, a toxin is a part of the process. So when you get a, 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 an injection or a booster, what you're getting is actually a messenger RNA, those that are using the messenger RNA technology, and you're actually promoting the production of a toxin there and that is to induce, the theory is, to induce an immune response that prevents you know, further and ongoing infection. So that's the concept there. But what we have to look at is look at this spike protein as a toxin or a toxicant and really recognize its potential impact as a procarcinogenic, carcinogenic pro-metastatic potential signal. And that's what the science shows, and we're going to touch on that. So... Beyond just the simple impact of the spike protein in terms of upregulating what's called plasminogen activator inhibitor 1, which is a, is a, a procarcinogenic signal, or even suppression and in, inactivation of what's called natural killer cells, which is what its name naturally implies, it naturally kills cells. So beyond those effects of spike proteins, the spike proteins actually contribute to this cancer in a very different way. Now, I want to step aside just a little bit, because what we're talking here about is viruses. We're talking about a spike protein of a virus actually being used to um, enter a cell, and then the associated risks associated with that. What I'm talking about here is cancer. And the concept of infectious agents uh, contributing to cancer are, are not anything new. When you look globally at cancer, approximately 20% of all cancers can be said to be caused by infectious agents, whether that's bacteria, parasites, or viruses, and viruses are the number one contributor of that. And what's happening in viruses is they really hijack the cellular metabolism and they reprogram it for oncogenic metabolism, leading to oncogenic transformation shift. And really when you look at viruses and compare and contrast that to to cancer, they really behave in very similar manner. They grow rapidly. They manipulate their environment. They manipulate the immune system and they spread profusely. So when you look at the two, there's a lot of similarities between the two. That's why uh, a lot of cancer can be said to come from viruses. And here we're talking about a more just recur, uh, recent event that is the COVID virus, but specifically with the spike protein interacting with this ACE2 receptor. So when we look at this, this cancer and ACE2 receptor and spike protein relationship, it's really to, important to understand that there's research there that shows us how this potential problem is going to go. When we look at cancer, primarily solid tumors, okay? Solid cancer, so lung, breast, prostate, et cetera. We know that in in vivo and in vitro studies, these solid tumor cells have highly expressed ACE2 receptors on their cell surface. And what those receptors highly being expressed on the cell surface of these solid tumors tell us is a reduction in risk, an improvement in survival and prognosis. It actually reduces the angiogenesis and provides a favorable prognosis in women with breast cancer. That's the ACE2 expression. So again, increased expression of this receptor actually reduces cancer risk. Now you may be going, well, wait a second, I thought we were talking about negative impact. Well, the opposite is also true. When you have low angiotensin converting enzyme type two or ACE2 receptors, the opposite is true. There's a worse prognosis, worse survival. So what's happening here is when we see high ACE2 expression, we have a improved survival prognosis because it's reducing angiogenesis. But then if we have low ACE2 expression in these tumor cells, we have a worse prognosis and worse survival. So where does the COVID virus, where does the spike protein, where does the ACE2 receptor fit in here? Aha, here's what the research shows. The spike protein of the COVID virus comes in and binds to the ACE2 receptor and it reduces, reduces the expression of that receptor so, if high ACE two expression receptor on the surface of a tumor cell reduces uh, reduces the cancer promoting effects, if you reduce that ACE two receptor through the spike protein, you increase the risk. That is the promotion of metastasis. In fact, research in breast cancer shows that the spike protein is going, as the ACE2 receptor downregulates because of that spike protein, you're going to see a progression of cancer through the different stages, that is stage one to stage four. And in that advancement of stage, what you're talking about here is moving from a local disease process to a, a global or systemic disease process. So what are the implications here of the spike protein down-regulating the ACE2 receptor expression on cancer cells in, in potential risk? Well, number one, pro-growth, pro-proliferation. Number two, it promotes angiogenesis, angiogenesis, which that's the vascular supply growth that's so desperately needed to meet the high metabolic demand of cancer. Number three, it promotes what's called epithelial to mesenchymal transition. That's how cancer goes from immobile to mobile. That's how it spreads. Fourth, no surprise, metastasis. Fifth, it's procarcinogenic alteration in the tumor microenvironment, meaning it's changing that environment in and around the cancer cell where it's interacting with the normal environment, it's changing that to be procarcinogenic. It also is procarcinogenic in altering the immune system, and then lastly, it increases tumor cell stemness. Cancer stem cells are the backup that we want no part of. They promote recurrence, they promote resistance, they promote spread. So let's look at just a few cancer types. In lung cancer, high ACE2 expression inhibits cancer cell growth. In uterine, that's endometrial, or kidney cancer, renal cell, ACE2 expression is associated with an increase in the tumor microenvironment, immune infiltration, and thus improving diagnosis. So despite the favorable effect in cancer, ACE2 expression increases the SARS-CoV-2 infection risk. So in cancer, it seems to be protective, but it's also increasing the risk associated with the virus. But then what we also know is that as that spike protein via the virus comes in and binds to that receptor, we're going to get down regulation of those receptors, which is increasing the cancer morbidity and mortality because of the spread of those, diff- uh, of, of those different mechanisms that I mentioned. But it's it's not just straightforward, not just simple because you know, science is ne- never is, contrary to what some people may say that you know, the science is settled. The thing about science is it's always evolving because our understanding is always evolving. High ACE2 expression is also associated with a decreased survival in HER2 positive breast cancer. So that's kind of counter to what I was saying. So you have to really take each individual concept and apply it uniquely to the cancer type. But in generality, what you're going to see with the spike protein, again, whatever the source, injection or infection or reinjection, you're going to see a down regulation of those ACE2 receptors, and that's going to increase the pro-carcinogenic and pro-metastatic effect. Now, at the center of this process is the vascular endothelium. It is the center of the wheel of dysfunction that helps to lead to metastasis. It's critical to the cancer, platelet, cytokine storm, and metastatic process. See, this endothelium, which is the vascular lining, it's the convergence of where we get this cancer cell, the platelets and the platelet aggregates, the damaged endothelium, the cytokine storm or burst where there's an inflammatory process that's laid down by what's called metabolic endotoxemia, that's lipopolysaccharide-stimulated inflammation systemically, all of this brings together the aggregate that creates the environment for cancer to leave the primary tumor, spread and be protected, reach damaged endothelium, which platelets bind to, and help to allow that cancer to what's called extravasate into this distant site and promote a new micrometastasis that eventually leads to macrometastasis, or the visible spread of cancer that we see. This endothelial dysfunction actually occurs through the downregulation of the same angiotensin converting enzyme type 2 or ACE2 receptor expression and signaling that we've just talked about. Again, more, the spike proteins, which again, a toxin coming from infection or injection also damages the vascular endothelium. That's what it exists to do. And this endothelium is the perfect bullseye target for this process really to come to, to front, to bear, to really allow cancer to spread. Now, the spike proteins are really just one of four different proteins. There's also membrane proteins, nucleocapsid proteins, and envelope proteins. And beyond just cancer types, uh, the, the, there's numerous uh, tissue types that also express these ACE2 receptors. So brain, eyes, nasal cavities, oral cavities, cardiovascular Okay, lung, obviously, uh, liver, kidneys, and the reproductive organs. Now, throughout the body, the the number one expression of these ACE2 receptors is the lung. So that's where you saw a lot of these acute pulmonary or lung issues associated with the pneumonia. But isn't it interesting that the last organ system that I mentioned, the reproductive uh, organs, um, highly express ACE2 receptors. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the things we want to do here on this podcast is really provide up-to-date information. And of course, there has been, you know, conversations in the literature, conversations in the media about the spike proteins interacting with the ACE2 receptors and its effect on women's menstrual cycles. There's been debate about that. Well, now we're starting to get evidence about that. And in fact, in European agencies, they're actually inputting or placing into the risks heavy menstrual cycles, irregular cycles as a part of the risk factors associated with injection and reinjection. Actually, just a recent published study from Saudi Arabia published December 13th, 2022. What's the date today? December 16th, 2022. Three days. It actually documents and highlights the estimated 25% of women with cycle irregularities following the spike protein injection. So again, we recognize why. There there should be no doubt about this surprise because reproductive organs overexpress ACE2 receptors. So if you're going to introduce a virus and the spike protein through a messenger RNA uh, delivery mechanism, what you're going to see is an effect on those ACE2 receptors affecting the function of those organs here being reproductive, causing psycho irregularities. And if you have psycho irregularities, then you might see that lead to infertility issues. So, are there res- is there research that shows that connection? There sure is. Now, looking at animal studies, they've shown that there's suppression of central gonadotropin from SARS-CoV-2 virus, and this leads to a a suppression of what's called luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. And that is going to lead to infertility. Now that's that's looking at bovine cows. So what we have there is a connection of the process of how a virus actually leads to infertility by affecting the ACE2 receptors in the reproductive organs. But that also applies to other tissue types that express it, such as what we talked about with the lungs, but specifically here what we're talking about in cancer. It's simply understanding, as we know in the literature, the the biochemistry and the physiologic effects of the implications of what we're dealing here. It's not just the accumulation of data, but it's taking that data, putting it in context of the original principles that, that the father of Western medicine and others have really applied. Heal, help, and at least do no harm. That's what that integration allows us to really apply the wisdom to that. So when we look at the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and the ACE2 receptor relationship, what we find is that the spike proteins alone activate platelet activity and platelet aggregation. Now platelets themselves are our friends. Platelets help to clot blood. Now when we think of platelets and blood clotting, you know we think of that in a negative term. We think of blood clots, DVT, deep venous thrombosis and those that spread to lungs, pulmonary emboli. But in actuality, the clotting process is necessary to life. I mean, you get a paper cut. Uh, that paper cut, if you don't have the capacity to blood clot and clot that off, you know, a paper cut could become the number one cause of mortality. But thankful for those platelets, we see that process correct and be controlled. But we know that spike proteins actually from the injection or infection, binding to those ACE2 receptors, which also are present on platelets, actually increase platelet activity, hyperactive, make them hyperactive, and actually increase aggregation, but they also upregulate what's called P-selectin expression, which is critical in how that platelet's going to bind to the damaged vascular endothelium and allow it to penetrate. There was a article entitled, SARS-CoV-2 Binds ACE2 Receptors to Enhance Thrombosis in COVID-19. And there's a quote from that that says this, quote, both complete SARS-CoV-2 virus as well as the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein are able to activate and induce platelet activation. So what, the, what they're saying here is that the whole virus, as well as the spike protein, are able to activate the platelets. And through the activation of that platelets, that then allows an interaction that occurs between that and the cancer cells. So as cancer cells leave the primary tumor, they leave the mothership, if you will, that process is called intravasation. those cancer cells interact with those platelets and form what's called a cancer cell platelet aggregate. Now, that's really interesting because why would a platelet that is interacting to form clots form and be utilized by cancer cells? Well, this is a very important concept that relates to cancer. Cancer will use normal function. Cancer doesn't create anything new. What cancer does is it adulterates an environment. It alters its environment. It creates dysfunction in its environment. And as a result, it alters normal pathway signaling. And in the alteration of that, the adulteration of it, it uses normal processes for its benefit and the body as a whole, the individual, the individual with cancer, their detriment. So it's not like, again, as i mentioned before, you know, laughingly, but it's not some bad Sigourney Weaver alien movie where something is implanted forward. That's not what it is. It is normal. Dis- it is the dysfunction of normal pathway and normal signaling that allows cancer to develop and spread. And it's this increase in this cancer cell platelet aggregate relationship and the upregulation of, I mentioned the P selectin, that really increases the angiogenic process, which is this vascular supply, and increases the metastatic potential of that process. So, that relationship. So, again, another article, here's the quote from this article, really de- describing, I think, this penetration, it's going to be this relationship and penetration well that results in metastasis. Quote, circulating tumor cells attach to the microvasculature of target organs and penetrate the vessel wall and survive and proliferate, that's growth, within their new tissue microenvironments. That is what is the end result of the cancer cells and the platelets forming a relationship. So let's talk about that relationship and how it leads to metastasis a little bit. Platelets play six significant roles in the spread of metastasis, as described in that first quote. First, platelets help to promote the vital blood supply growth, that's angiogenesis, to meet the high metabolic demand of cancer. It also helps to carry away waste. That process is called angiogenesis. Cancer is growing so fast it lacks a blood supply that, that can meet the demand, and so it must upreg- upregulate this new vessel production. That process is called angiogenesis, and platelets are intimate to that environment. Second, platelets surround cancer cells in what's called that, platelet, that cancer cell platelet aggregate. Now, the first component of that is as it's circulating throughout the body, that buffer, that, that cancer cell platelet aggregate, creates a buffer to the sheer forces present in just the mere circulation in the blood. So, it's really allowing that cancer cell to travel in style, if you will, so that it can be buffered from the outside environment that might damage it and destroy it. The third part of that protection of the cancer cell platelet aggregate is that that buffer provides protection against the immune system. See, as these cancer cells are circulating around the environment, they're going to express proteins primarily with what's called the human leukocyte antigen that that really the immune system will use to identify something that's abnormal to eradicate it. And here, this platelet aggregate buffer is going to protect it against that. Specifically, it protects it against natural killer cells. And it actually reduces the ability of natural killer cells to identify the cancer cells, to penetrate, and thus to actually remove them from circulation. Really interesting 2009, excuse me, 2019 article, here was the title, Platelets, Thromboinflammation and Cancer Collaborating with the Enemy. So the authors here actually were describing this interaction between platelets, again, normal part of our, our body, and the cancer cells as the platelets being a collaborator with the enemy. The enemy being cancer and the platelets being the collaborator. Now it's a little bit more complex than that, but what it really is, it's the, it's the cancer manipulating its environment. Now, again, the mechanism here is the ACE2 receptors. If we give an infection, if we give a spike protein source, whatever the source, and those ACE2 receptors are expressed on platelets, we're going to upregulate that platelet activity and that hyperactivity and thus lead to these cancer cell platelet aggregate, or we're going to force a collaboration with the enemy. One and a side point here, to overcome This buffer, vitamin C, is an important way to overcome this cancer cell platelet aggregate and allow the natural killer cells to enter and protect. Fourth is platelets play a critical role in the adhesion of these circulating tumor cells to the endothelium. And I think it's important to recognize a relationship here. These toxins, that is the spike protein, they damage the endothelium. But these toxins are also helping to form this cancer cell platelet aggregate. So they're, they're basically sowing the soil for distant metastasis, but they're prepping the spread. And so bringing those two together is going to allow this process to occur through spike proteins, whatever the source, because the ACE2 receptor expression is there. Fifth is that platelets increase the aggressive behavior of cancer. Well. I mean, if you hyperactivate the platelets, you're going to increase the aggressive behavior of the platelets. I mean, give a bunch of sleep-deprived kids sugar and see what you find. You're going to see things bouncing off the wall. You're going to see increase in activity. You're going to see increase in aggressive behavior in that process. That wouldn't be wise, but here it wouldn't be wise either yet. It's done. Six, platelets help to cultivate and prepare that distant site of invasion, what's called metastasis. This is called the pre-metastatic niche. Seed and soil theory is what it's called. Basically, what happens as cancer spread is the distant sites, that process is not random. There's preparation. There's, There's preparation of the soil so that when a cancer cell comes along, here protected by the platelets, then the vascular endothelium is damaged by the platelets. The platelets are hyperactivated, protecting the cancer from sheer force and immune dysfunction as it spreads, and then that platelet binds to that damaged vascular endothelium. It starts to then allow the prep of the soil to seed its future growth. And last, interesting, the platelets export the tumor microenvironment. So what is allowing that cancer to spread and survive? Because of the adaptation of the tumor microenvironment, that process, that immune suppression, immune dysfunction, oncogenic metabolism, transformation, that process is being exported with those cancer cells because of this cancer cell platelet aggregate. Platelets help to make this tumor microenvironment portable and this improves the survival, the viability of the circulating tumor cells and thus increasing the success and potential of metastasis. So let me summarize that. Platelet hyperactivity increases the metastatic dissemination of cancer cells via increasing angiogenesis, increasing cancer cell intravessation, again, le- the cancer cells leaving the primary tumor, it increases survival of the circulating tumor cells. It increases the epithelial to mesenchymal transition, the move from immobile to mobile. It increases circulating tumor cell activation, immune escape, increase in cancer cell extravasation at the distant site, supporting s- systemic dissemination of the local tumor microenvironment, preparing the distant target tissue for metastasis. All of that through spike protein interacting with ACE2, recept- ACE2 receptors that are on the platelets. So beyond just the effects of expression of ACE2 receptors, downregulation, regulation with uh, spike proteins increasing the risk associated with cancer, as I mentioned earlier, here we're actually describing the mechanisms, the mechanisms of how it's doing it through its interaction with the platelets. So when we look at this process, We have to recognize that we have the ability to act, we have data, we have evidence, but what we have to do is take this data and apply it through knowledge, history, and understanding, and that's the wisdom application. So when we look at the spike protein, whatever the source, again, infection, injection, you know, notice I'm not saying vaccination because that introduces bias. Whatever the source and the ACE2 receptors that we know are present based on the data in cancer, we now can connect a few dots to make clear what happens here. First, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 is highly expressed on cancer cells, particularly the solid types. I've mentioned those earlier. Second, ACE2 expression is associated with a decrease in cancer invasion, advancing stage, and metastasis. So that's when they're expressed high. Third, research has showed that when we decrease the ACE2 expression, we see an advancement of cancer through stage 1 to stage 4. The spike protein, whether from infection or injection, has been shown to do that. It also damages the vascular endothelium, which helps that process. And last, the spike protein down-regulates the ACE2 receptor expression, as I mentioned, to basically lead to this process of going from you know, a primary immobile site to a distant mobile site. So does infection or injection produce more spike proteins than the other? Because I think that's a fair question. Does one pose more risk than the other? Because I can tell you, I've seen patients that get a COVID infection versus patients that get an injection. We see similar effects of cancer growing very rapidly. There is a French professor by the name of Jean-Michel uh, clavier and I know I brutalized that pronunciation so if you have a french background I apologize on the front end but he he published previously that injection sources of the spike protein have 7 to 10 hot times that 7 to 10 times higher levers, levels of the messenger RNA that encode for that spike protein when compared to natural sources so what he's saying there is that the injection source of the messenger RNA that promotes the production of the toxin to induce the immune response, that's the theory, produces vastly higher levels of spike proteins, by the way, last longer too, than natural infection. So the obvious inference here is that messenger RNA will produce more spike proteins. But a recent publication in the New England Journal of Medicine, so that's New England Journal of Medicine, a premier journal, has shown that the injection sources produce a, high, a higher spike protein antibody response than the natural infection. So we have two collaborating um, pieces of data here. One that's saying we get higher spike protein because of the messenger RNA from injection over infection. The other saying we see a higher antibody response from injection over infection, that is natural infection. And again, must remember, the spike protein is a toxin. So let's throw you a little curveball here. What about transmission? Because if we were talking about data, and I said data is always involving, is there the risk of a transmission of spike protein? Now, in the literature, it's very clear that vi- that shedding is a process of giving a attenuated live virus, but shedding doesn't necessarily apply to the process of a COVID vaccine or injection because we're dealing with messenger RNA and not a live attenuated virus, but actually just a component that is a spike protein toxin. Well, research is really starting to show some interesting data here that In the messenger RNA, they are using that with what's called a lipid nanoparticle. Now, the the messenger RNA that they use in these lipid nanoparticles are synthetic, okay? But it's interesting that these lipid nanoparticles to uh, basically surround and engulf that synthetic messenger RNA, it is designed to mimic naturally occurring what are called extracellular vesicles or exosomes. And it's, interest, and it's important to understand that these extracellular vesicles or exosomes are natural carriers that are involved intimately in cell-to-cell communication. So they're helping to communicate from cell-to-cell these, these vesicles, okay? And it should come as no surprise that these vesicles, these exosomes, can carry, can carry the messenger RNA and thus the spike proteins, as can these lipid nanoparticles, because the lipid nanoparticles were created to mimic these naturally occurring intras- intercellular communicated vesicles called extracellular vesicles or exosomes. Now, what has that got to do with the potential for transmission? Well, these synthetic lipid nanoparticles, similar to these extra, extra vesicle, uh, extracellular vesicles, are found in urine. They're found in feces, in stool. They're also been reported to be in saliva, breast milk, sweat, aerosolized droplets, and even through direct skin-to-skin contact. So here's a quote from a recent 2022 publication from the journal Infectious Disease Research, and it says it all. Quote, all these studies show that extracellular vesicles carry microRNA and spike protein could therefore be excreted by different bodily fluids and could enter by transcutaneous, that is through the skin, or inhalational route in unvaccinated individuals, as well as by breast milk in infants and by transplacental passage in fetuses, that's an unborn child. And why not, he proposes this question, semen. Naked mRNA could also be excreted and entered as well. So let me close with this interesting study. Not conclusive evidence, but really what what we're seeing here is a billion piece puzzle and we're starting to get the corners together. We're starting to get a picture of what we're seeing here. Again, through the process of how the ACE2 receptors and spike proteins can actually go from a, a inhibiting the cancer growth to promoting the cancer growth and spread through the downregulation of the ACE2 receptors, how the spike protein can hyperactivate how it can hyperactivate the platelets, and how that can lead to the process using the platelets to spread the cancer. But here we're actually kind of bringing it together not necessarily in cancer but showing that these spike proteins can be transmitted and thus the worry for the coming pandemic that is that's actually here so this was a 2022 study again trying to keep this relevant and up to date was published in the journal med rx rxiv excuse me that's m-e-d-r-x-i-v and what they did is they looked at non-vaccinated children so non-injected children that were living with non-injected parents And then another group, they looked at non-injected or vaccinated children living with vaccinated or injected parents. And what they found is highly suspicious and consistent with this theory of transmission and thus worry for the coming pandemic. The production of antibodies found in the nares, the nose, of the children that were non-vaccinated living with the injected or vaccinated parents was significantly higher than that of those that were non-vaccinated living with non-vaccinated patients. Is that evidence of transmission? It sure seems to point that direction. But further research and time is definitely needed because, again, we're not getting the entire picture, but we're definitely getting enough pieces of data that when we use it through and apply it through history and context and through wisdom, we can start to get together a picture that is very concerning. My take on on the topic is you betcha it does. So beyond just what I've described here, the future of medicine is the what's called multiomics. That is the precision, the accuracy, the targeting of genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, and immunomodulomics, and good grief, omics. It is the future of precision and accuracy that we're targeting that we want to be able to target today. So we know that the SARS-CoV-2 through the spike protein and ACE2 interaction actually stimulates specific oncogenic alterations. It upregulates vascular endothelial growth factor. It upregulates epithelial to mesenchymal transition and stem function via the upregulation of a transcription factor called snail. I told you that we in medicine and doctors, we don't do a great job of of naming things, and snail here would be a part of that. It's a member of the superfamily family of zinc finger transcription factors for for those of you nerds out there like myself. And this this snail plays a key component in signaling for metastatic potential. It downregulates p53, which is a tumor suppressor gene found in over 60% of cancer types. It upregulates programmed death ligand one, which a lot of the checkpoint inhibitors are used, and increases nuclear factor kappa B, which is the primary transcription factor of inflammation, which we know plays intimate roles in how cancer grows and spreads. And it actually promotes and upregulates interleukin-6, which is involved in this cytokine storm and burst that really causes cancer to spread. It upregulates other things such as uh, CREB-1, PTN-SMAB-3, CASP-3, which ACE2 all upregulates, and this promotes pro-growth environments, what's called the P13K-AKT-MTOR pathway. I think you get the point here. We don't just have the ability to speculate of what spike proteins whatever the source infection injection do we know how they do it the ace2 receptors we know where they do it cancer cells down regulating it platelets hyperactivating form of the cancer cell platelet aggregate causing oncogenic alterations some upregulation some downregulation exporting the alteration of the immune system in the tumor microenvironment seeding so be soil creating the soil, prepping the soil in distant sites that allow that seed provided through that cancer cell aggregate uh, and platelet aggregate, how it can actually land, survive, and thrive in a distant site, whatever the source, infection, injection, or repeated injection, what research shows is that an increase in endothelium da- endothelial damage, which spike proteins do, and dysfunction, it increases the angiogenous potential. It hyperactivates the platelets. It forms the platelet cancer cell aggregate. It creates the environment that allows immune evasion, cancer cells to leave and leave the primary tumor and evade the immune system. It allows circulating tumor cell survival. It suppresses natural killer cells. It allows cancer cells to bind to a distant vascular site, intravesate, And for micrometastasis, these micrometastasis then spread to full macrometastasis. And the result here is you're going to see an increase in cancer incidence. You're going to see an increase in cancer recurrence. You're going to see an increase in metastasis. And again, that's 90% of morbidity and mortality associated with cancer. That is simply the application of the dots and following them through as the science has shown. That's the wisdom. Now... When we look at what I said to start, I said the coming pandemic is cancer. Well, there was a really nice article that came out actually predating the pandemic in 2019 called the Prospective Urban and Rural Epidemiology Study. What they showed in this study is they looked at 21 different countries. And in these 21 different countries, they divided them into three groups, high income, middle income, and low income. And what they found is that in high income countries in 2019, cancer was already the number one cause of mortality, that is death, in adults over cardiovascular disease, actually at a rate of two to one. That was pre-COVID. Add to that the information I just presented that's in the data, in the published evidence of the spike proteins, again, whatever the source, infection or injection, but not just how it's doing it, but the, the, the what, the where, adding that to the how. See, that's the science, that's the data, and that's the application of it. So that's applying the wisdom to it. So I, I hope that this discussion has really been uh, eye-opening. It's a deep dive. It can be controversial. It shouldn't be. I mean, science shouldn't be controversial, right? It's, science is just simply observation, questions, answers, and following it. But what's happened is we've get, we got a lot of, you know, we get a lot of bias built in there, a lot of political bias that gets bit, built in there. And it, it kind of, it, it creates a smoke screen and creates a disruption of understanding what's going on there. So this was just a deep dive on helping to discuss what is the reality of the spike protein, the toxin? whether from infection or whether from injection and whether from re-injection, and how that's going to impact patients at least at high risk of cancer or definitely with those at risk of cancer. Looking at the prospective urban and rural rural epidemiology study, the pandemic's already here. And what we're going to see with the spike protein via those ACE2 receptors is we're going to see that pandemic only accelerate. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond, because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness. Whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.